And so when I look back at that girl, I say to myself, oh, if you only knew everything was going to be all right and that loneliness would be just be gone, it would be void in your life, you, you, you've got such a full life. So stay locked in. Failure at 40. Welcome to Failure at 40. Welcome to the show, Michelle. It's a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We've been looking forward to having you, definitely. So just uh, if I could just take you back a little bit to your early years, if you could just tell us a bit where you're from, originally where you're born, your background, um, and anything significant from some of your earlier years. Well, I was born in London, in Balham. And uh, my uh, family, my mum, came from Guyana. Uh, Georgetown, Guyana. Uh, she went over to uh, London to study nursing. And uh, then she had me over there. Uh, and we were there until I was about nine, nine and a half, when mum had met uh, an Australian through through work. And uh, they met, fell madly in love. And, you know, then they came to Australia. And all I remember is sort of my last night in London was visiting my uh, cousins in um, Croydon um, over at my aunt's place and watching Oliver on the TV. And Oliver Samuels? The, you know, Oliver the, you know, um, Oliver, Oliver Twist, Twist, excuse me. Oliver Twist. Okay. Oliver Twist. Oliver Samuels. Oliver Samuels. Old school. <laughs> so, yeah, Oliver Twist. And that was like this you know, moment in my life, I was watching that movie and then put, being pulled away from it and um, next thing being on a plane and saying to my mum, oh, when are we going back to Paris, you know, because we used to visit Paris quite frequently. And she's, oh, not for a long time. And I just remember when we arrived in Australia and we got off the plane and walked down to the tarback and I said to her again, mum, when are we going back to Paris? Oh, no, not for a very long time. Where are we? We're in Australia. Uh, where is that? You know, I had no idea. Absolutely. How? 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 So, at nine, was your was your father in the in the picture? Yes. No, he was not. No. Um. In fact, I don't remember ever meeting him, and he was never spoken about. So, you know, typical sort of Guyanese family. Don't talk about anything. Leave it alone. So, as far as you're aware, you're aware someone's missing, but the conversations aren't had, and I guess you're quite young. I was a funny child. In in fact, I don't remember being aware of him missing. Because he was never there, right? Void. So, yeah, yeah, there wasn't a void. Um, so all I knew was my mum and my aunt and uncles and my cousins. You know, so and, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I knew. Um, and in fact, I probably only met my really met my father when when I was in my teens when we went back to London. When I was six. So when you met mum's new partner, can I ask what background he was, what race he was? Yeah, so he was white Australian. His name was Michael and he was a gas. He was a funny man. 
uh, great sense of humour. Uh, yeah, so we came over here. Um, obviously, I met him in England a couple of times. We took a trip over to Holland to visit him. Um, and, in fact, how they met was she worked for a company. She was the telephonist, you know, when they put the cords in, the old-fashioned telephonist, and she used to connect him to her boss. Um, and, you know, obviously they would chat and flirt with each other over the phone. Um and he didn't believe that she was a black woman. And he flew from Holland and went into their office, walked in, looked around the office and walked back out and went back to Holland and said, and called her and said, oh, yeah, I came in to see you. <laughs> no way. That's how they met. Yeah. Yeah, that's how bullshit he was, you know. <laughs> He's a really cool guy. Oh, cool. Goodness. And yeah. I did not expect her to be black, so therefore thought she couldn't be here, possibly. That's it. Wow. Yes. And then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyway, um, yes. Yeah, so that's how their relationship started, and we went over to Holland to meet him, and or you know, hang out. It was a great time. Um, I remember riding around on a bike with this um, Dutch girl that I didn't know and um, couldn't speak a word of Dutch. She couldn't speak English, but we communicated perfectly. Had a day out together wonder what she's doing now and who she is. But, uh, yeah, and then, we, you know, we eventually came to Australia. What was the next stage? So that was up until you went to Australia. Did, how long did you stay in Australia? Did you come back? So basically I've been here 45 years, but we've been back to England a number of times. So I went back to England when I was 16 after that point. So from 9 to 16 is quite a significant change in your life. What does life look like for you now? I guess, you know, when you're young, things are, are narrow. You've got a narrow field of judgment, okay, of understanding of your life. Uh, and you're only, I guess you're really shown certain things. You're guided by your family, your, your parents. So your knowledge is only thus much, or, you know, thus far. When, when you get older, it's huge because you can make it as big as you want. So now when I look at my life, I love it. And a friend said to me one day when I was feeling a bit down, she said, you've got so much, in, you know, you've got a really full life, a really busy life. And I'm like, hmm. And she says, you don't have anything to worry about. And I'm like, yeah, I guess. But, of course, you know, internally you're always worrying about, you know, you and your children and your family and money and all of that. But my life now is just tenfold completely different person to that nine-year-old that came out to Australia. What kind of things would you say you worried about? What were some key things growing up that worried you? Before you probably got to your, your 40s, I guess, what were the worries? My worries, I think, were um, how I was going to navigate a, um, uh, a career because uh, I've always been very sort of career-focused or um, if I decide to do something, I go ahead and do it, you know, regardless of what the obstacles that may may be. But generally I don't see any obstacles or I don't put obstacles in my way. I just make sure I get there. My mum put me into ballet as a thing to do in the afternoons, so that became a great part of my life. So I became a dancer, a classical ballet dancer. What, what age was that? Day. So I trained, I started training at the age of sort of 10, I guess, and then I really became professional or started getting work when I was around 14, 15, which is really young, 
and um so you were exceptional do you exceptional you were exceptional um, an exceptional father. I, I don't know whether I was exceptional, but I worked really hard. I worked really hard. I had the flattest feet and biggest ass. You know, my ballet <laughs> teacher, <laughs> funnily enough, the ballet teacher that I had was a, a leading ballet teacher in Australia, turned out to be. And, you know, when if you speak to any dancers, you know, and they like young dancers, and they say, oh, you know, you tell them you did ballet, whatever, who was your teacher? I say, oh, Prudence Bowen. And they go, oh, my God because she was one of the toughest ones in Australia and she always used to say to me, Michelle, I can I can balance a teacup and saucer on your backside, tuck it under. Did, did, you, tell her, was your, did you tell her that you came, that's how you come? <laughs> you she didn't care. <laughs> she didn't care about that. <laughs> and good for her because she was actually brilliant. But um, she, I was no different to anybody else, you see, and that's one thing that if you find somebody in your life training you in whatever vocation, they see you as no different to anybody else. You've just got to learn and you've just got to succeed and say no. D- don't say no, you can't do something. You can do something. You can do anything, you know. And she taught me that. I'm curious, as a young black girl coming to Australia from Britain with a mum who's got a white partner, how did you feel that you, you fit into that society at that time? It sounds to me like in dance it was seamless, but was that the same across the board for you? Oh, look, racism was still quite high in Australia because remember, you know, they had the white, white uh, only white poli- uh, policy. Sorry, can you tell us a bit more about the only white policy? So for, oh, look, since the 19, hang on, we got here in 1976. So prior to that, not long before we arrived, maybe about five to ten years before, I, I don't know the exact date, it was just the whites only policy. So they didn't have immigration really of any uh, people of colour from around the world. And, you know, the Aboriginals were doing it really tough. Now, when you think about it, and they deny this now, um, the Aboriginals were classed as fauna and flora right up till 1967. That was the year I was born, yeah? So they weren't really deemed as humans. They were part of nature, okay? Now, they deny that, but it's the truth. Many Aboriginals have the paperwork stating that they, oh, you are blah, 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 part of the fauna and flora of this land, etc. Um, you know, but almost so, like almost yeah. like beast and plant. Yes, almost. yeah, almost, almost. You know, so we, you know, we were dealing with a, with a culture that was not used to people of color, and I would say my mum faced some tough times in, in her employment. Um, some, you know, racism. Uh, I mean, she doesn't really talk about it much, but she was employed when she first came here. Um, with literally the same company that she was employed with in England, but that didn't seem to be for very long, okay? Uh, and then thereafter she established her own shop, uh, which is antiques, et cetera. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it's funny going full circle, I'm doing the same thing that, you know, she's doing, but this is primarily for a reason that's just to help her. Um, clear some stuff on because she, she's not getting rid of things. <laughs> she's holding on to it. She hoarding. She's hoarding. holding on. <laughs> yeah. But mum's got exquisite taste. She's got exquisite taste but just unable at this point in her time in her life to let things go. So, yeah, yeah, she's hoarding. So that's, that's where we're at. But so going back to your question of uh, what it was like, <laughs> 
So you would walk down the street. If you were walking down the street in the CBD or the city or even where we live now, back then I would be lucky to see one other black person on the street a week. A week. week. Wow. Yeah. So a week. Yes. So you got used to people staring at you. I don't even even bat an eyelid. Like if I were to go to China or some parts of Asia right now where they stare at you long and hard, I wouldn't even know, you know, wouldn't even trip. But it's amazing how here we are 45 years on and things are completely different. And are you only child? Yes. It sounds like very much there on your own. Yes, yes. And was there anything significant in those early years? I mean, I think coming to Australia is significant in itself, but in terms of partners, you know, music, taste, culture, you know, how was it for you? Oh, back then, oh, my goodness. Um, So partners obviously were only white males for me. There weren't any black black kids around, um, black men. Uh, Yeah, going up, let's say, yeah, all, all were Australian boys. But obviously the guys that I dated were progressive. I mean, they were people that had been out of the country who who were well-travelled by their families or whatever. So um, they would be the ones to approach you. But if it was like, a you know, a real country Australian boy, they'd be, yeah, they wouldn't, you wouldn't. But you would know your type. You would know. If you walked into a room of, you know, 40 or 100 people, you would know the one that would be interested. And what about Aboriginals? Would they, would they, Aboriginal encompass you? Would they take encompass, you? Um, yeah, yeah, they, they did, but there's a big difference between the Aboriginals and somebody who's West Indian or, you know, uh, African or um, American, you know, African-American, big, big difference. So the classification really between the Aboriginals and the other Blacks, um, the Black people that were here, they would say, call them entertainers. So you've got a lot of basketballers and singers, et cetera, and dancers and whatever else. That's what they were viewed as. So they were treated differently. Um, Aboriginals n- treated the same way as every other Aboriginal, not so well. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's the same thing with the Indigenous cultures right around the world. That's, that's the- so as far as men go, I was dating mostly Australians. Yeah, look, most of the guys that I dated were really nice, good people, you know. Mm. So I then, how I come to have two beautiful black children is that uh, when I was in my 20s, 2000 and was it 19? Hang on. God, the decades <laughs> have gone so fast. <laughs> back, back when you yeah. had them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, in my 20s. Uh, okay, so let me just backtrack a bit. So I went back to England when I was 16. We went for a family holiday, all right, when I, in my, when I was 16, 17. And then again, I went back to England when I was around 21, 22, okay? And whilst I was in England in my 20s, I stayed for about two years. And, and in that time, I travelled. I went to Greece, did the typical, you know, travel thing, went to Greece and Holland and a number of other places, uh, went to New York and then I went to Guyana to cool. visit my family. I wanted to see, yeah, I wanted to see. I was um, going to ask you about the exposure to your culture. How how did you get cultured other than mum and stuff? So I guess that's part of it. Yes, that, that's part of it. Mum was quite refined, so you wouldn't have seen much of a hint of Guyanese. She, she's very well-spoken and, you know, very prim and proper. Not much 
yeah, you wouldn't see very much flavouring of Guyanese. And in fact, growing up, the food that she cooked was more international. She would cook an Indian dish, an Italian dish. Uh, yeah, so we, I didn't, you know, really grow up eating um, Guyanese food. So, to speak. so no, no roti. You know, no, 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 no. She would, she would make it on special occasions, right? Okay. But essentially, not on a you know week to week basis, and it, and it would be too impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's got time to be cooking them all the day of yeah. the week? Because I know it can be tough. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> so you were describing your visit to to um, Guyana. I, yes, so I visited Guyana uh, in my twenties, and that was where I met my husband. So he was or is part of um, his family and my family know each other. So when I first arrived in Guyana, uh, I was staying with my great aunt and who my mother grew up with. And he was there on the day that I arrived. He was there. He generally fixes the house, you know, maintenance, a handyman for her, for my great aunt. And, um, and she said to him, oh, you've got to, you've got to take Michelle to to town and show around. So he was set with that task, um, much to his delight, no doubt. Um, and, <laughs> and, um, so, yeah, I yeah I was glued to him when we, and he took me to all kinds of places. He took me to charity and right up the Esquibu River and all kinds of places. It was great, great time. And, but of course, his men do, you know, they've still got somebody on the side. And uh, yeah, they got something brewing. Like, you don't really know the full story. <laughs> so I was there for six weeks over a period of Christmas, and uh, and then I left. And you know, wrote to him when you know snail mail, the original pen and paper, write a letter, send it off, put it in the mail. Uh, we used to do that. Well, I did, and I didn't hear back from him. I thought, oh well, it was just a holiday, holiday ching. So holiday uh, holiday yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so I, I didn't hear from him for a while, for maybe about a year or a year and a half, and then I came back to Australia and then he contacted me and then it was on for young and old. So, yeah, he eventually came to Australia and we got married and had two children. Oh. When did you get married? What, what yeah, timing is that? <gasps> Twenty In your 20s still? Well, it, was, it was um, 1997. Okay. Yeah, okay. 1997, okay. yeah. Yeah, it was March, actually March 1997. And we were married for about 17 years, 18 years. And, yeah, and unfortunately we, you know, I had to part our ways, which is a shame. But, you know, I, I'm very traditional that way. I, I, I'm, you know, I would really like to have kept my family together. But, um, yeah. It was was he your first real relationship? Because I understand that you may have been dating before, but you were quite young, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So was, it, was um, that your first? Yes, solid. Yes. I just, yes, <laughs> solid one. Yeah, I just went for it, you know, so let's just do this thing and, you know, yeah. get it done. I was, I was just going to ask if you felt like you grew into your, your womanhood within that relationship because of, of your the time of your age. Yes, probably, yes, I did. I did, yeah. And the thing for me about getting married was to start my own family because I was an only child. I wanted to create my family because I was, I was very, I went through, through a period of being very lonely, you know, so, and unfortunately with only children, the loneliness can start around about 16 through to, you know, your mid to late twenties. It can last a very long period. And, 
And that generally is highlighted or, you know, that loneliness is highlighted when your friends are saying, oh, come over for family dinner or you're being invited to places where you've put in a situation where you've got big families, you know, and you can see how everybody's interacting and you don't really have that. That can really highlight it for you. So, you know, I was quite yearning to, to be create a, my own family unit. When you got married, were did you already have children or did you get married first and then have children? Got married first and then had children. And does, did your ex-husband stay in Australia? No, he didn't. No, he, he didn't. Fled. <laughs> so, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's gone. <laughs> not, not during the marriage. Did he, he didn't no. leave Australia? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, kind of. I, I won't be mean. I'm not going to be mean. I'm not going to tell you the ins and outs of it. But uh, he, um, so he had three children previously from previous marriage. And, you know, so he went back to Guyana uh, with, his, with his children. Yeah. After you divorced. That's right. Yes. But while but while he was here, he came with his children, they lived here or they stayed in Guyana. They stayed in Guyana. Yeah. Okay. They stayed in Guyana. Yeah, so is he, he quite a fair bit older? Is he quite a fair yeah, bit they, older? Uh, no, no, no. He um no, he just started young. Yeah, so his children were probably about ten years older than than mine. Are you a planner, would you say? Like did you have a plan for your life, like what you wanted it to look like or like when you get to a certain age, you wanted to achieve certain things? Definitely my plan. Well, I mean, I had my career for quite some time, but my big plan really was to have my family, you know, a bit traditional that way. I wanted that. Um, that's probably the biggest plan out of everything that I can think of. That would be it. Yeah. To have my own children, bring them into the world and, and guide them and, and have fun with them. Yeah. Did you have dates? Yeah. Like, you know, I'm one of the, I'm a planner, so I have dates for everything. I'm like, oh yeah, I want to do this by this date and this by this date. Did you have dates that you uh, wanted to no, do? No, no, no. I don't do dates. I no, because uh, for me, if I do a date and it doesn't come to fruition, yeah, then that can lead to an anxiety or frustration or an upset. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I get, you know really antsy about the, the thing that you want not happening on time, on your time. But we've got to remember the universe works in its own time yeah. and it delivers what you want. You will always get what you want. You've just got to be patient and don't put a time to it. It works in its own time of delivery. Mm. When, when did you start sort of really tapping into the laws of the universe and possibly the attractions that it can deliver? When did that start becoming something quite poignant? In, in how you manifest and look at things. Okay, I'll, I'll tell you a specific incident that really brought it home to me. Uh, at one point in when I was around 19, 20, and I was living with a boyfriend in um, closer to the city near the Harbour Bridge, beautiful location called, called Kirribilli, and we were supposed to be moving out of our apartment. This is a, really interesting moving out of our apartment and moving into another apartment which was all set ready to go and then come the day we went to pick up the keys and um the he came back home and said the real estate or the owner of the apartment um has decided not to go through with it and I'm like what do you mean we've got to be out of here today we've got that means we've got nowhere to live and he goes don't worry don't worry don't panic 
I'm just going to go and see some friends and see if they could hook up something, something for us, somewhere for us to stay. Anyway, so he disappeared. I remember sitting in this apartment amongst all these boxes. I'm sitting on a box, bawling my eyes out, going, I've never been homeless in my life, you know, really, really upset. And I just said, please, 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 I just need somewhere to, to stay for a period. Just give us somewhere to stay for a period until we can find somewhere permanent. And as as you say, it's so shall it be. Knock, knock, knock on the door. And I'm like, oh, and I'm thinking it's my boyfriend. So I go to the door and I'm thinking, why didn't he just put the camera? Anyway, I open the door and it's some neighbours in the next building who I don't really know. I only know them visually by waving occasionally. And um, this guy says to me, oh, you're moving. And I'm like, yeah, I was supposed to be. And uh, he goes, oh, I was going to ask you if you could um, just watch our apartment for us because we're going away for three weeks. I went, oh, right. And, he, and I said, oh, well, when, you know, I don't know whether we're going to be here. And, and he said, oh, well, you know, and I said, oh, no, I don't know what's happening in our life. The place that we were supposed to move into has fallen through. And he goes, here are the keys. You can stay in our place while we're gone. Wow. wow. Look at that. Didn't know, I didn't know this man from A to Z, right? Didn't know him from the bar of soap, as they say. So, and the only reason why we knew each other visually is the cat that I, that we owned used to sometimes go across to them and he would lift the cat up and wave in the window with our cat, you know. It's, it's yours. It's your cat. You got, you got the cat. Ransom. got the cat. You know, what I wanted to pick up on, Michelle, was you spoke earlier about dating progressive men. Yes. Um, and men who were probably well-travelled, potentially well-read, or just at least exposed to more. And and I wonder, in terms of, uh, is it Michael? Did you say his name is Michael, yeah. your husband? Yeah. In yeah. Terms my, of Michael, my stepfather back then? No, sorry, not stepfather, mm, husband. Sorry. Oh, my husband, Dexter. Dexter. Yeah. So in terms yeah. of Dexter, was he also progressive? Or was he of a different element? Because I'm looking at demographic where he's from, what he would have been. Right. You know, really interesting to. you should ask that. He took a leap of faith, actually. And when I look back, one of the reasons why I really liked him was, was because he could put his hand to anything and fix it. Yeah. So he knew he knew what to do in any kind of crisis from, you know, really basic shit. And that's one of the fundamental things I think about having a man in your life is they know what to do. They might not be, you know, a mathematician, a scientist or whatever. Um, they may not know how to cook, but they may know how to save the day. So when it comes to knowing where to get the loaf of bread, knowing how to build a, fix an engine, fix your taps, your leaky taps, fix anything, okay? If they've got a craft, that's fantastic. A useful man is a gift. An is an gift. absolute gift. Yeah, and and you don't throw them, they don't kick them to the curb. So if you find you, you're dating a builder and they may be ranked down to the bottom, you date that builder because he can build you a motherfucking house. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> said it, yeah. said it. Yes. <laughs> said it, said it. Build your house. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Give off in the mouth. Just no, just no, 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 no. Yeah, you give thanks, definitely. It's a uh, very important thing to understand. So everybody who comes with a gift, we're just going to work out what it is. And sometimes a woman has to help that man work out what his gift is and not crush it. Tom, would you agree? Yes, Tom? Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it takes it takes mm-hmm. some work, Michelle. It takes some work, but yeah, we craft, we craft, we, we yes. help. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I've had to wring out the towel a lot few times. Yeah. <laughs> with, the, with the work, you know. <laughs> We're trying here, Michelle. We're trying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, so with De- uh, with my ex-husband, Dexter, I saw in him the fact that he could cope, you know, and he could build everything. Even though it was he was out of his element when he first arrived, he'd never been amongst white people. He grew up in Guyana, the thick-ass black population yeah black indian chinese population um but and over here was an entirely different thing but i thought well with me he's going to be able to navigate that you know we'll work together with that so michelle i mean if i just talk a bit about mum in terms of you kind of saying that she's quite refined i wonder if some of the the prestigious kind of men that you've looked for progressive men um that you kind of vied for has that been partly to do with the impact of her in your life and what she's been what she's had privy to yeah look uh yes she certainly had an influence on me and even my cousins but I would say I haven't really followed her path in the type of men or the prestigious type of people that she has she's you know her her circle of friends my uh, choices were a little bit different and as so to speak you know I would say she was probably a little bit horrified that I Went with what I did from Guyana, uh, you know, <laughs> which is my way of saying it, but it's true, you know. You're married from there? What? Yeah, no. Um, so uh, she, uh, yeah, so she wasn't really impressed at all. She wanted, she wanted different for you. She did, that- and she did, you know, and that's actually something that we should remember for ourselves is that we want, want what our mothers or our parents want for us. And it's generally better than what they ever had, you know. So, yeah, that's that's the takeaway with that for me. But sincerely, the men that I have gone out with have been, you know, of a certain calibre. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it has its good and its bad. Well, thank you definitely for, I guess, sharing what you've shared to, with us up until this point. I guess some of the things that have stood out to me, uh, some of the things, the ups and downs that might have been on your journey. Um, and there was a few things that I think you touched on just about loneliness and the impact that that has on you then, but also follows through, I guess. So I did want to speak to you just a little bit more about, about that and how the impact that's had on you, I guess, now and how you manage that. For the most part, that's actually, I would say that's gone now, certainly now in my, you know, old years, I'm up to 53 now. So uh, I look back and I can say definitely, and I knew when I was in it, when in my 20s, that I was very lonely. And so when I look back at that girl, I say to myself, oh, if you only knew everything was going to be all right and that loneliness would be just be gone, it would be void in your life, you, you, you've got such a full life. And the people that come along in your life really fill it and fill it so well, whether it's your own family or the family of your choosing, you know, how you create that family through friends and, and those family, those people that can become your family can come from any place, whether it be from your work or your existing friendships. You just don't know where they come from. Right now there is no way I could possibly be lonely because if I haven't got my children, my partner and I've got friends, my phone's ringing all the time, you know, and I'm not being boasty but my phone rings nonstop. And I guess from, from talking to you, what I get is that you've got a sense of 
um, settledness in yourself. So even if you wasn't, if there wasn't physically anybody around, it almost seems like you would be finding your own company. And, and I think there's a great power in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing I think is that you have, you're fairly fearless when it comes to trying new things and different things because you're always having to step out on your own, you know. So you can't become a fraidy cat for simplicity. You just get up and go. Yeah. And I used to go out clubbing on my own or um, if I wanted to go to the movies on my own or go to dinner on my own, I would do it. And so this is where that fearlessness comes in. You can travel on your own. You can do almost anything and you can start a new job, a new career without anybody telling you really that you can't and that you're going to fail at it, you know? And I guess that's one of the things that we are trying to sort of explore with you is more around this word around failures um, and what is perceived to be a failure and actually it's a journey, you know, it's a life experience. Uh, and I guess you, you've you kind of highlighted things around your, your marriage. You know, obviously that's not, that's not, um, you know, you visited that season and, and that's it passed <laughs> on from that season. But at yeah. that time, how did it feel when, when that kind oh, of ending was happening? Yeah. Oh, I did feel like a failure there. I was incredibly disappointed, really, really disappointed because I wanted to, see that through to the end, you know. I wanted to be dancing with him on the dance floor at, you know, 80 to 90. So, yeah, I did feel like a real dis- disappointment and I did go through a period of depression because we had a business, we had a thriving security business um, that was reaching the million-dollar mark, you know, for years. And so, yeah, so, you know, that came to an end and, um that came to an end. So I, my uh, family, you know, my, my marriage failed and the business, you know, closed down. And so I was then having to look for a new job. Nobody would hire me. This is back in 2013. I could not get employment to save myself. It was either you're overqualified, overqualified you're, you're, you'd be a threat to the, your manager or you're underqualified because you don't have a piece of paper. Yeah, it was very, very tough, really tough. And can I ask what the reason for the breakup was or the divorce? I'm going to say it this way. Um, uh, infidelity. That's that, that's the word. Yeah, infidelity. Not on my part. You know, I, I and, 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 was that a deal, and was that a deal breaker for you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, what's the point? You know, what is the point in sticking with somebody who's going to be doing that, you know? It's, in very, it's really important to show a united front to your family, your ch- children, the two people that you've brought into this world. And if they can see, you can hide it for a while when they're young, but when they get older, they can see it and you can't lie. And, some, and then it becomes embarrassing and humiliating. And then they ask you questions, well, why are you sticking around? Why, are you, you know? And you don't want to answer those questions as an adult. It is very confronting. So you can only do that for so long. So, Michelle, can I ask, you know, the things that you kind of consider to be um, some of the moments of failures or the part of the journey, um, did they all happen around the same time? So did it, did it, were they all kind of, do you feel like that period of time was a short period of time? Like the marriage failing, the business having to be closed down, the feeling of depression, was it, was it all interlinked? That's right, it was. It was all interlinked, definitely. Yeah. And how long do you think that process was? Oh, my goodness. Don't lie. You can't lie about that kind of stuff. That lasts for years. 
better have good people around you and or some kind of spinal fortitude within yourself to say, shake it off, let's go, let's start again, let's do this, you know. And this this wasn't a quick, a quick love, this is a 17-year or more, you yeah. know, situation. Yeah. That's you know, right. If you think of it in that way, in terms of how long something can last, it's looking at even how long it's been taken to build it, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, so I would say a good five years to really get over it. But I wasn't one of these people, and I'm still not. I don't talk about my ex and the failure of, you know, and what he did, and, I, and I've never done that in front of the kids. I don't talk ill about him in front of the kids. That's just not what I do. And I guess the wording failure in itself, you know, it comes with lots of negativity, uh, I think. It, it kind of really fuels a lot of that in. And I think rather than looking at things, and, and that's what I said to you just now, the season or, you know, of, of your marriage, you know, all you've done is moved on to a different season. It's almost like a, a learning yeah. point, yeah. isn't it? It, um, is. it is. And it is about word power and, and what kind of power we give words and why. Yeah, the emotional um, intent that you give to a, a word has a huge bearing on your life. You know, people don't realise that you've got to speak very carefully about yourself and about everybody around you, but particularly about yourself. Um, and then what you want to do, where you're going. But, um, you know, when you say failure at 40, let me tell you, my 40th should have been, you know, fantastic. No, there I was in my bed under the covers, the covers above my head, bawling my eyes out, bawling, absolutely bawling my eyes out. But I'd hit 40 and I just felt like such a failure and everything was just crap around me and I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't see my way out of, the depression and feeling so unhappy and just miserable. So I guess we didn't count the years in terms of where you were at at the time these things were happening. It sounds like it was 40. 40, I was still married. We were still together in the house, but living separately really, you know. And, yeah, so I was absolutely beside myself. I hate to say it, but I did have that, what's the the saying, Um, life crisis. The midlife crisis. Midlife crisis. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Forty. Woo! It hit me bad. And, and how how did the recovery? How how? I mean, I guess it's partly what Sean was just asking. The recovery was very slow. Lots of great friends around me, male and female. I had to just pick up my uh, skirt and get on with it. You know, um, I'm a great believer that if you sit in it too long and in that crying mode that vibration in your your body gets used to crying, yeah? And it just keeps sticks with you, yeah? So you've got to get out and be happy, try and create a happy vibration within your body to to get to move forward. You know, I think we totally separated at, at, at one point or another. Uh, he moved out, well, he left the country, and from there I just had to carry on and... Uh, try and get through it and uh, and I eventually did and I look here I am still standing but believe me those dark days were really tough to get through and what I find is just when you think you're getting better and you you know feeling feeling better and you don't have the dark thoughts going through you think you're doing really well and then suddenly it's like somebody pulls the rug from underneath your feet and there it is again. Did you do any sort of work on yourself or like are you counselling things of this sort? Okay, yeah, so I, I did have some counselling 
Um, but actually, I had the counselling years before we got divorced, many, many years earlier. In fact, I would say it was when my daughter was uh, quite young, so she would have been about five, six. Um, I was having counselling as early as that because I wanted to divorce him long time. Yeah, I was just about to say, in, t- <laughs> in, t- in terms of figures, if I yeah. did the maths, right? Yes. Because your daughter's now 22. Yes. Yeah, so she'd have been five, six at the time. Yeah. Um, and and the children were born quite early in the marriage, I guess. Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you were having feelings of... Yes, yeah. Wanted to divorce. Yes, that's right. Exiting since they were very young. For the same reasons? Same reasons, yes. Same reasons, you know. Um, and I don't think that I was suspicious back then, but I'm very committed. No matter, I'm going to go the hard yards and, and fight for it. But I've never been one of those people to try and chase the information to find out whether there's definitively the, the truth. You know, I'm just like, it'll, it'll come to me when necessary. Play, you can play yourself out right out the door. So I was seeking counselling as early as, you know, when she was very young and I just sort of kept with that. But one of my real things for, for me and depression and overcoming it, I get up, I do meditation. So I did meditation for many, many years. I started doing meditation when I was probably around 18, 19. So I had that craft to help with things and then I would go for a walk. I would walk. I would walk it out. You know, as long as you get out and walk and just your eye movement and looking near and far and seeing different things, getting a better outlook of the day, started off in the day in the beginning of the day, uh, apart from the exercise um, for your body, but just for your mind, clarity of mind. That's a great tip. Yeah, great you've tip. got to do it. Mm. I actually do think that a lot of depression um, can be resolved by the movement of the eyes and engaging the eyes. Because when you're depressed, you're just sitting and you're just, you know, you're not moving. You know, you might be watching a TV screen or whatever else. But I think when you get engaged and you start moving your eyes around, it brightens the focus of, you know, of your brain and your thought patterns change. Often why they tell us to reconnect with nature, going out into green spaces um, and, and it's really kind of reconnecting. I can see how that groundedness can definitely help. I'm that type of person as well. I'm very much a walker. Um, if I'm upset, I literally will go for a walk and I'll be back and I'll be like, yeah, so what are we doing next? And my partner's like, like <laughs> you just left the house, crazy yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's gone now. It's finished. It's over. Like, so now he's at that point where he knows that that's my thing. I think it's so important. I think I don't think we talk about that a lot. I have never really looked into why it works for me, but... I definitely know that walking really does help me to just release everything, all the tenseness in my body. So I think, yeah, that's an amazing tip. Thank you for that, Michelle. Earlier on in the uh, interview, you spoke a little bit about having a friend and discussing with the friend sometimes when you are feeling a little bit down on things. And they're going, well, actually, no, you're actually amazing. You fulfilled so much. Your life is so full. And I guess this is one of the things that it's good to kind of share with our listeners is that even though it can seem on the outside that somebody has got a lot of things in place, uh, all the eggs are in a row, behind it can be so much different things going on. Um, can you just tell us a little bit more about that, please, Michelle? Because, you know, we wake up and all we hear is our own voice when we wake up in the morning and we're repeating what we were thinking yesterday. So our view of ourselves is 
I haven't achieved this. I haven't done that. I need to do this. Um, I haven't got my bank account's really low. How am I going to make some money this week or next week or whatever? When's the money coming in? Um, uh, you know, you've got all these thoughts going around in your head about you and your situation winning when, in fact, whatever you thought maybe about six months or a year ago or whatever, you've created and it's right here in your present, but you still don't see it for what it is, yeah? But everybody on the outside can see exactly what you've done and, and that's the mistake we all make, I believe, is that because we're only looking at ourselves and our own achievements and what we haven't achieved, but really we've got to think about what we have achieved and look around because whatever we create, create in our mind and we think about, we do create, you know, around us extensively extensively and I think people really catch that or understand that they really need to think about that because I, I I look at it right now is I've got my children I created that hmm, some years back 22 years ago <laughs> so they're here now these present people in my life they're fantastic they're on their way uh, I've got my current partner he, he's great um, and then whatever business I'm trying to do now, here's the other thing with unemployment. Unemployment is a big one. So many people put their career as who they are when that's not really the case. And once they lose their job, they're just fucked. Excuse my language. It's good language. It's good yeah, language. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they have no, they feel like they don't have the identity and then it's completely false. And I guess that full sense of security is almost forced on us by society we're almost programmed into being defined by what we do no actually I bring who I am to the profession or whatever it is it's not that they define and and we're not programmed to think that way so if we lose our job you know it doesn't mean we've lost ourselves but quite often people think that is who they are couldn't be further from the truth yeah that's right and I I hope this period right around the world for everybody you know um, being behind closed doors whether we like it or not has being the catalyst for people to try new things, start again. You know, if they've lost their job in that time, hopefully they've been able to find out that they have got a skill elsewhere. If anything, what would be your advice to your younger self or even to your daughter? Or like, what would the advice be if you were able to look back? Would there be any advice that you would give to yourself? Um, I would say uh, don't think that you can't because you can you can do anything, you know, just, just going to put you back into it, you know. Um, you can do absolutely anything, whether it be, uh, you know, if you, and there are so many different ways of approaching things now, you know. Yeah, you can do anything um, and just have the courage. Um, and when somebody says that you can't or somebody says no, you go, what? Fuck you! I'm gonna go and go and do it. You know, you can't <laughs> tell me go by. How dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I guess in terms of our listeners, and just in terms of some sharing some tips, I think you shared lots of wisdom and lots of tips. But in in regards to just challenging their own failures um, and things that are, are within their own their own minds and their own psyche that may not be the truth of things. What would What could be some of the tips that I think maybe you could share from just from your journey and reaching um, a beautiful age of 53, which I think is a blessing in itself? Thank you. Um, Yeah, we're still here. Look at how many have died in the last 12 months. It's it's not good. But 
What I would say is don't believe, sometimes you don't believe it, you can't believe your own negative thoughts or your thoughts. You have to look around you and say, oh, okay, here's an example. Back in 2019, I got offered a job as a, a sort of lead navigator for a company. It was a limousine company. And now the reason why I got this job is because I've been an Uber driver. Now I did it Uber driving. I took it up because I just wanted to try something different, right? So I did. It was the best, the best four years of my life. I've, I have carried 10,000 fares, 10,000 people, which is around about 23,000 people all up, okay? Had all those conversations, very intimate conversations. Then I got offered this job for a limousine company to be there, um, uh, sort of like a navigator. Intense job. You've got like five different massive screens in front of you and you're going from left to right continuously. Phones ringing, three phone in each hand. When I first, the first day of that job, now there's a reason why I'm building up to this. First day of that job, I walked into the office and I looked around and I thought, well, ain't this a shithole? And I thought, but then, and so I sat down to this girl who was supposed to be training me who was half my age. <laughs> and she had these really long false nails with all these time on these on it. <laughs> and she's typing away and I'm supposed to see, be seeing the keystrokes that she's using um, to get in and out of these windows and I couldn't see shit. And I just turned to her and I said, what do you think you're doing? She said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I can't see what you're doing. And so this is the other thing when you get to the stage, you don't give a fuck about what you say to people. You just John say it and you're time. really no direct. <laughs> yes, you are really direct. You have to be direct. And make sure you're understood, right? Make sure you're understood. So anyway, I couldn't understand, see what she was doing and I said, you need to take things a little bit slow because I can't see past those nails. All I can hear is clicky clack. So... <laughs> And I was thinking, I looked around the room and I thought, this is a shithole. Okay, <laughs> but Michelle, you're here. You want to learn some new technology. This technology is the bomb. That's why I stayed in the job until they closed down. But my words to myself were, they're not going to be open long because they haven't got their ducks in a row. I'm here to do one job and I'm going to do it. But what's really interesting to me is the technology and I'm going to learn new things. At my age, at 50, whatever I was back then, that was only 2019, that was what was important to me, not necessarily becoming a fantastic leader of this group. It was about the technology and me learning something new. And inevitably, I was there only for maybe about six months because they, they lost their main contract and they folded, so we were all made redundant. So... What I took away from that was I learned some brilliant technology. Sure, I didn't have a job. I was unemployed again. How was I going to navigate and find another one? But I didn't fail. I won something. I had new knowledge. So even if anybody goes and finds a new job and gets fired, what did you learn in that time? That is the takeaway because whatever you learn, you can take to the next job and the next job. That can, that can take you well into another 10 years. 10 years' time, you could look back and say, oh, I remember when I did blah de blah at that other one. Okay, so nothing is a failure, absolutely nothing. I love that. Me too as well. Nothing's a write-off as well. Yeah, and, and, my, and my family were questioning me, why are you doing this? It's a really intense job. You're really stressed out. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm loving it because I'm learning something new. Thank you. 
so much. Like uh, just listening to you today um, in the short space of time, I've learned so much. Um, and as I was saying to uh, my co-host earlier, I feel like you've just got so much wealth to, to talk about. It's almost like we, you know, we, need, we need more time because there's just so much there um, to talk to you about. So thank you for sharing. Um, I feel like we've learned a lot and I think our listeners will have too. If somebody wants to find you and to talk to you, where could they find you, Michelle? Oh, um, I don't know. Where? <laughs> 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 like, don't, don't call me. <laughs> um, listen, um, I love talking to people. Um, like I said, I'm I'm on the path to become a counsellor. That's my that's going to be my final uh, career path because I feel like that's what I've been building up to do for many years. And without all of my history. I wouldn't be able to help people in the future, yeah? And and that's one of the really important things about being able to get older and be devoid of dementia so that you can help the people come behind you and pull them up, you know? That's the, one of the main things, I think, you know, to be able to pass on uh, the knowledge to be able for, for our existence, our human existence to keep going forward, um, we need to have our elders here and obviously whether I like it or not, I know I'm, I'm on my way to becoming one of those elders. Uh, <laughs> 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 but I want to be an elder that can kick it on the dance floor. That's, that's basically it. That's all that matters at the end. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you very oh, much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very oh, much. Great. Yeah, you did ask me where they could find me. I guess in what which way, like through Facebook or something, yeah, or? Facebook or you know, if you want to share the email with us, we can make sure we put it on your yeah, profile. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You can um, Michelle with one L dot Nesta, N E S T O R two the number two at gmail dot com. Thank you very much, Michelle. Yeah, and I'm willing to talk to. Anybody, and it doesn't matter, male, female, doesn't doesn't matter, or non-binary, um, yeah. LGBTQ, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Everybody. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again. Thank you You're very welcome. much. Appreciate your time. Okay. See you.